welcome to another episode of One Life. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Graby. Our mission at One Life is to inspire you to take risks, dream big, and to live your life on purpose. Y'all, on today's episode, we have the incredible honor of talking with someone who has impacted literally millions of lives, ours included. He's the king of adventure himself. Absolutely is. Mr. John Eldridge. Most men are very angry inside. There's a rage that's just right underneath the surface. And it's because they have no great battle to fight and because they don't think they're winning at the little battles they are fighting. You know, so the, the warrior inside them is just pissed. And so if you bury all that, I'll tell you what, man, you're gonna you're gonna blow up something. You're gonna blow up your marriage, you're gonna blow up your work, you're gonna blow up your health. You're, you know, you can't neglect the heart and get away with it. John is an incredibly successful author and speaker from Colorado. Come on, that's just got God all over right there. <laughs> He's known for his New York Times bestselling book, Wild at Heart, which is all about uncovering the secret of a man's soul. Yeah, that's such a great one. Mm-hmm. Love it. And he's also written just some of my very favorite books of all time. Yeah, it's true. Waking the Dead, Journey of Desire, and The Way of the Wild Heart, so. which is different than Wild at Heart. It's The Way of the Wild Heart. If you have boys, Mm -hmm. if you are one, if you're raising one, go check that one out. We'll link to it in the show notes. It is so good. It's like the roadmap for raising a boy. It's incredible. Guys, we cannot wait for you to hear this conversation today. This is definitely in the top. This is one of our (laughs) favorite all-time conversations, Oh my gosh. Yes. So good. What I love about John, and I I know you guys will love as well, is that he just has no BS. There's no pretense. There's no games. He's just real. And just, I think, you know, you read books and you listen to people and you see them from a distance, but when you get that opportunity to encounter somebody and they literally are 10 times more than what you ever thought they were, it's so encouraging and refreshing. Such a gift. Such a gift. It is such a gift. And what I love about this conversation is the same thing I love about his books. It makes me want to go spend time with Jesus Yeah. because it reminds me that at the end of the day, loving Jesus is really what life is all about. So you guys are going to love this episode. Without further ado... Here's John. Well, guys, we have a special guest with us here today on the One Life Podcast. It's none other than Mr. John Eldridge. Welcome to One Life. We're so glad you're here. Yeah, thanks, guys. Really honored to be here. Well, we could talk about so many of your books, John, because we've read them all (laughs) several times, some of them. I was telling Chris before we jumped on, uh, we have several bookshelves full of books in our office, but there's a top shelf with a stack of books that hold some special spots in our heart, and about half of them are written by John Eldridge. So we're just so thankful for the voice that you've carried in this generation, and we're thankful for your work. So Thank you. Thank you. So I'm a top-shelf guy. You're a top-shelf guy in our house, (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Um, And we could talk about all of them, but we're going to, for time's sake, we're going to focus on two today. We're going to talk about um, your newest book here in a little bit, All Things New. Can't wait to jump into that, but... We have to talk about Wild at Heart because I know so many people have read it and been impacted by it. We'd love to know, um, kind of leading up to writing it, and a little bit about your story. Yeah, Dante has this great line where he says, In the middle of the road of my life, I awoke in a dark wood where the true way was wholly lost. Um, My story begins with a pretty big loss of heart. 
I was successful. I was very successful. I was working in Washington, D.C., was climbing the ranks, White House lunches, uh, Supreme Court opportunities. I mean, it was, you know, if you dream about that kind of thing, it was living the dream. Mm -hmm. And I I woke up one day to realize I hate my life. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not me. How did I wind up here? It's kind of like that old Talking Heads song. How did I wind up here? (laughs) Yes, right. Right. And... um, I was talking with a friend and he said, he said, when you go into a bookstore, do you read like politics, you know, social issues, pol- you know, policy, that kind of thing? And I laughed and I said, no, I never read that stuff. And he said, well, what, what do you do? What section of the bookstore do you go to? And I said, oh, I, I just always read stuff about the heart and about the soul and about the spiritual life. And he looked at me and he's like, you are in the wrong job. What are you doing? <laughs> That's oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so you, you encounter that. Then what happens? How do you make that transition? What does that look like? Well, it was, you know, your show's about taking risks. Um, and the first big risk I took was we just walked away from all of that. In fact, I was being offered a really prestigious position. And I just said, Stace, I can't do this. Um, it's killing me. My heart's not in it. And so we left and uh, went to grad school, got a counseling degree. You know, I love sitting and listening to people's stories. I love helping them get to a better place. And so, and then that's when I met Brent Curtis. He was a counselor here in town and he and I, I joined his practice that he had already built. And and, uh, we wrote Sacred Romance together in 1995. And the cool part, like all of this, this is still a wild story. I mean, that, like we're sitting in a coffee shop one morning. Now, you got to understand, I got three kids. I got a mortgage. I'm working a full-time job yeah. because I'm trying to start my counseling job in the evenings. Okay? Mm-hmm. My wife, and Brent says, I think we ought to write a book. And I'm like, I do not have time for that. Like, <laughs> I, I am, no, I'm not interested. And I walked out to my car and it was one of the first times I really heard God speak clearly in my life. I'm literally getting into my car and Jesus says, that was a really bad decision. Wow. And that's all he says. Just, you know, <laughs> that was a really bad decision. So and? I'm like, oh my gosh. So I walked back in the coffee shop and I said, okay, let's do it. Wow. So we wrote, wrote Sacred Romance. We were a couple of nobodies. I mean, we were just two counselors from Colorado and unpublished and Sacred Romance came out, I think, in 1996. And it did well. And I discovered that I love writing. And yeah, the whole trajectory just changed from there. That is unbelievable. All right. So now you were working a full-time job at Focus on the Family, right? Is that where you were? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And so you're doing that. You're going to be a counselor. Talk to you about the conversations that you and your wife had. How, how was that going? Okay. I think I'm going to leave this. And I'm going to write this book and we're going to talk about the heart. And she's like, oh, that's sweet, honey. But how, how did that conversation go? You know, it, um, I didn't handle it well. I, I, <laughs> it, it was it was really hard on her because she loved, you know, we didn't live in D.C. We lived up in Maryland and I commuted in. And she loved our church and she loved our community. And, you know, I'm just saying, hey, I'm going to take you away from all this and don't really know what the future holds. And so I it was hard on her. I think looking back on it now, I would have handled that conversation a little more kindly, you know, a little more conversationally. Hun, what do you think about this? And 
she was totally supportive of it because she saw me dying in my job. But um, yeah, there was young marriage, young kids. I think I could have handled that with a little more gentleness. Sure. Sure. Yeah, but it's part of your story. It's part of your journey, right? So well, exactly, right? Yeah. yeah, and gives you perspective for the next time you go talk to her about the next big risk or something. You know, you got some context there. So, all right. So you talked a little bit about Brent. Let's unpack a little bit of that relationship, his partnership, and unfortunately, there's some tragedy on the other side of that. If you don't mind, would you share a little bit about? You know, you have this this book goes. You have this partner, and and then something happens. Yeah, Brent. Brent was about 12 years older than me, and so he was like an older brother to me that I never had. Really, really, really good man. Loved God, really wise man, really kind heart, uh, great counselor. And yeah, we were best friends. We, we, he had two boys. I had three boys. We took them camping together. We went on backpacking trips, you know, so it was very, very tight. And then our dream was actually men. Our, our, our focus really was men. And we really wanted to start something where we could begin working with men in an outdoor setting. So we, we held our first retreat, our very first retreat. And that weekend, Brent was killed in a climbing accident. Um, as part of the retreat activities, we were taking guys climbing and yeah, devastating, massive loss. I was so furious at God because I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like there are so few good men in the world. Mm. You know, why, why don't you pick some jerk, you know? Right. Uh, and so, you know, when you read the book of Job, I think we forget that he's a grieving man. And the way God handles him feels a little rough. You know, stand up. I'm going to talk to you. You don't have things straight here. Mm-hmm. Very quickly, God came into the story for me, and He said, "I will not let you walk alone. Mm. I will not. I will not let you do that." Because He knew that what I would do is just totally isolate. Mm. Yeah. And if I could just fast forward for your listeners the story, you know, now, gosh, twenty, twenty-eight years later, I have a team of people. I live in community. You know, we we do a lot of work with men, but I do it with a team of guys. So Jesus really did rescue, you know, the promise of I will heal, I will heal your broken heart mm. from Isaiah. That, gang, that's, that's real stuff. Like he actually is great at that. God is great at healing broken hearts. Yeah, he sure is. Well, I mean, you know, it's funny you say that because at the end of the day, you, you went out to say, okay, I want to help men. I want to help them connect with God, connect with their heart, connect with who he's called them to be. And he knows that in that tragedy, the enemy was going to try and use it to where you're going, I'm going to isolate. I'm not going to be a community. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm walling off my heart. There's that potential where you could miss the yeah. call of God on your life. Yeah. And the enemy was clearly, he knew that was trying to come at you in that way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Either we believe we live in a war or we don't. And if you believe you live in a war, it really explains a lot of your story, mm-hmm. the loss, the wounds, the accusation. And if you don't believe you live in a war, then you either have to blame it on God or you blame it on yourself. Mm. And I believed back then. I knew it. I knew we live in a war. And and so, OK, so this is so now. I've got Brent's counseling practice. Now I've got all his grieving clients. Now I have all my clients. Like, it's a mess. And I'm sitting in a counseling session one night, 
this is like maybe three months later, maybe. And I'm, it's, a, it's a marriage session. So I'm, I'm listening to the couple and Jesus starts talking to me again. And he, he says, you know, John, he says, you're pretty good at this. And I think to myself, pretty good. <laughs> I'm great at this. Hello. <laughs> and he says, but you are talking to two people. I want you to talk to a lot more than that. And then he and then he does this again, where he just whoop, disappears after that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it, what? And that week, the phone rings, and it's my publisher. And he says, hey, Sacred Romance is actually doing well. Would you like to write some more? Do you want do you want to publish with us? And I felt like that was the answer to God's prompting. He's like, yeah, talk to more people. And so I had Wild at Heart in mind. And I pitched that idea to them. And here's what they said. He's like, yeah, books for men don't sell. What else have you got? Oh, <laughs> you're kidding. Oh, my word. Yep. True story. How True story. Funny. So they wouldn't publish it first. They said, no, let's, we want to publish this thing you have called Journey of Desire. I had that other book going. And yeah. so we published Journey of Desire. And then we published Wild at Heart. And, of course, it became this yes. phenomenon. You know, right. it's, a, it's just a God thing. You know? Yeah. When you had that, so we're going to jump into Wild at Heart. And I know a lot of people have read it and they're familiar with it. And I know it's written for men, but man, I mean, I think it resonated so much with me. And now that we're raising a son, it has just been so huge and monumental. And I think everybody's wired for adventure. Everybody longs for adventure. And so <laughs> did you have any idea the impact that it would make when you created it? You know, I knew I was the guy that found treasure buried in the field. Like I knew I knew it was gold because I was watching it with my clients, the impact on their hearts, like to see a man come alive mm -hmm. and to choose courage and to choose life and to choose love. It's an extraordinary thing to see a man get his heart back. Oh, right. so, so I knew it was gold, had no idea what God had in mind. Mm -hmm. Um and, and then the story of risk-taking just keeps going because Wild at Heart begins to do well. And then Jesus says to me, you need to quit your job. Now, I've got three kids and a mortgage. And, and for two years, we had no idea where the paycheck was coming from. We lived totally by faith for two years. And while we were launching Ransomed Heart and the Wild at Heart conferences and this thing that's gone, you know, global, we were literally, we would come home to a bag of groceries on our doorstep from some anonymous person. And that was, that was our groceries for the week. Like it was that big of a, of a step there. And, and it wasn't, it's helpful for your listeners to know, it wasn't like Foolish risk-taking, right. a lot of prayer. There was a lot of counsel. We immediately pulled people around us and said, hey, we need, we need your wisdom. We need to run this by you. So, you know, we weren't just chasing your dreams is a very dangerous thing. And, and if you don't handle that carefully, people get really hurt doing it. Right. Because you know, they, yeah. think, they think, well, I have a dream. Um, I have a dream. I have a dream. <laughs> And they just go do it. And they're like, God, how come you didn't bless it? And I just want to ask them, well, did you ask God? Right. Did you talk to him about the timing of it? You know, God may say, I want you to sell your house and, and move to Indonesia. And people do it. And I go, wait, wait, wait. Did you ask the next question? Did you ask him when? Mm -hmm. Right. 
Mm-hmm. You know, because he might say two years from now, mm-hmm. two mm-hmm. years from now, it's all going to come together. Right. Right. Yeah, that's huge. That's so huge. So, you know, Waking the Dead, Journey of Desire, Wild at Heart, there's really a heartbeat that I hear behind it. And it's that you can't live if you kill your desires. You, you Sometimes the message that we get as followers of Christ is that spiritual growth means killing our desires. And um, there's a danger in that. There's a huge danger in that. But I love how you say a life with Jesus is an invitation to desire. What does it look like? to live out of our heart's desire in a healthy way? Well, I think I think you have to start by going back and where did you lose heart? Yeah. Because everybody loses heart. And it may have been high school and uh, something that happened in athletics or the it may be a first boyfriend or you've got to know your story. Right. And where did you begin to lose heart and how did you become the person that you are now? Because most people abandon their God-given desires, their God-given design, because they're trying to please others. Mm-hmm. Frederick Buechner has this incredible biography, and in it he says, he's talking about his own parents, and he says, starting with a rather uh, too pretty young woman and the rather unstable young man, the world sets into making us who the world wants us to be. And we lose our original shimmering self. We, we lose the person God created us to be because we're just trying to live out a script that everyone else handed us. So I, I don't think it's as simple as, well, chase your desires. Mm-hmm. I think you have to go back into your story and go, where did I learn to crucify my desires? Where did I begin to lose heart? What was it I once dreamed of, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Howard Thurman's line is, don't ask yourself, what the world needs, ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs are people who have come alive. Yes. Right? Amen. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's, um, it's a beautiful, messy process, but it really involves the recovery of heart. Because yeah. the thing is, you get into a life with God, you get into a life of adventure, you're going to need your heart for that. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And then some. You're going right? to have to hold on tight. Yeah. And hold on tight. Yeah. Can you talk for a minute? Because I've heard you say one of the quotes I love that you say is there's something that happens when we bury our hearts under the porch to seek a safer life. What happens and what is the danger when we do that? Well, here's the thing. Those desires don't go away. They go they go underground Mm. Mm -hmm. and then they surface again. Um, So, uh, you know, just yesterday oh, man, we just got some news yesterday of a marriage that we know that's falling apart. And the guy kind of blew up and he lost heart, Mm, you know, and then some pretty thing comes along and he's going to get taken out because not because his desires are bad, but because he's totally out of touch Mm -hmm. with his his desires. So most men are very angry inside. There's a rage that's just right underneath the surface. And it's because they have no great battle to fight and and because they don't think they're winning at the little battles they are fighting. You know, Mm -hmm. so the the warrior inside them is just pissed. Mm -hmm. Right. And and so if you bury all that, I'll tell you what, man, you're going to you're going to blow up something. Right. right? Yeah. You're going to blow up your marriage. You're going to blow up your work. You're going to blow up your health. You're you know, you can't neglect the heart and get away with it. Right. Yeah, I love how you say it's like the soul's equivalent of holding our breath. 
sooner or later, you have to take a breath. It's going to come out somehow. Yeah. Yeah. That's so huge. No, that's great. Well, before we transition out of Wild at Heart, I'm sure you've heard so many stories, or I hope you've heard tons of stories of people's lives have been changed. But what's a story that maybe is dear to you? Maybe there's a theme overarching or a specific example of someone whose life has been radically changed or family's been changed from the project Wild at Heart. So there is a man right now in Thailand. He was a very successful police detective. He was literally like two years away from retirement and the golden parachute and the whole thing. And he read Wild at Heart. And at the same time, he got assigned to some child trafficking issues. And it just broke his heart. He literally, he literally left everything on the table. He walked away from his career. He walked away from his retirement. And he and his wife are in Thailand now rescuing children from prostituted lives. And he sends me updates once in a while of here's a little boy we just rescued. This little one just came to Christ. It's just phenomenal. Like, this isn't about a selfish life. Mm-hmm. Right. right. This isn't like I just go. I just want to go water skiing more. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. It's saying, man, if you get hooked up to the heart of God mm-hmm. and you get your heart back, he has a really big story for you to live in. Absolutely. Man, that's so that's good. So good. Well, what a cool story. I know that's one of literally thousands, and we've had people in our life have been directly affected by it, and ours especially as well. So, again, thank you for that. So, speaking of projects, let's jump into your new project, you know, talking about renewal, right? Let's talk about this book, All Things New. What do you mean by we all long for renewal? Well, so Paul says there's three great forces to the human life. There's faith, there's hope, and there's love. And he even says they're immortal. He says these things literally go on forever. So these like these three immortal forces, faith, hope, love. I think we've got a pretty good clue what love is about. You know, we may not we not love well, but we know we're supposed to. And I think I think we've had faith preached to us over the years of living a life of faith. But most people I talk to do not have a resilient hope. Like they don't have this this hope that's just carrying them through life, the hope that Hebrews uh, calls the anchor of the soul. Like I actually, you know, Hebrews says we have this hope that ha- that is an anchor of the soul. And I went, no, we don't. No, we don't. I don't know anybody who has that. Mm. And so that really got me going on what is the hope that is the anchor of the soul? What? How are we supposed to be thinking about our lives, about loss, mm-hmm. about our future? And it, it took me to a wild passage. So Matthew 19, 28, 29. So the disciples have, have, have jumped in. They followed Jesus. There's kind of the first, there's the excitement stage. And then there's the wait a minute stage. What have we gotten ourselves into? And now they're getting into the full-blown opposition stage, right? They're getting kicked out of synagogues and, you know, riots are starting. And Peter looks at Jesus and he says, what is it that we're supposed to be looking forward to? <laughs> I really appreciate that question. That's a fair question. Mm -hmm. What is it that we are supposed to be looking forward to? And Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth that the renewal of all things. Everyone who has followed me and you have suffered loss of any kind. And he gets very specific. This isn't vague pie in the sky stuff. He says houses and lands, meaning careers, loved ones. 
He says, you will get it all back. And it just got me on this mind-blowing search into the promise of God is not the great substitute, that you, you will eventually lose everything, but you get to go to the eternal church service in the sky. Uh, the, the promise of God is actually the restoration of your life. It's the restoration of the world that you love and literally the recovery of things that are very precious to you. Like if you knew that, mm-hmm. it, it would change everything. Right. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It is kind of a mind blow to think of it that way because I don't know how, but we've all kind of just by default landed on the idea that we are just going to float up to the sky and there's whatever our picture of it is, it's not what you're describing. It's not the renewal of what we know as home here, just even better, you know, all the, the mountains and the beauty of God that he's already created. And you're talking about all that we love and know being renewed and being totally free to enjoy it and to enjoy God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, oh yeah. so let, yeah. Me, let me let me tell you how hope works. If it's vague, you can't hope for it. Right. You can't. If somebody were to tell you, hey, next year you're going to move to this unknown country and we're going to give you this new unknown job. <laughs> you wouldn't hope for that. Right. Because yeah. it's too vague. It's like it's almost scary. It's right. like, wait, you're going to do what to me? Yeah. Um, and also, if it's not concrete, like real, tangible. You can't hope for it. And so streets of gold, what? And we worship, what? Like, it's not helpful. Yeah. And I I think Jesus was trying very hard to drive into the dynamic of hope to make it very, very real. Mm -hmm. And so finally you get Easter. And he's, he's trying on Easter to go, okay, look, this is how real I mean. So the Jesus that walks out of the tomb, exact same guy. Same guy. Same personality, mm-hmm. right? He still has the uh, scars in his hands and feet. Right. Same guy, yeah. right? And he walks into the house Easter night, you know, and kind of scares everybody. And he says, do you have anything to eat? Uh, he's ravenous, <laughs> right? Okay. Right. The dynamic of hope is it has to be so concrete and so real to you or it won't, it won't work. And then what happens is then you just take all of your kingdom heart and you bring it back to the world, and you put it on your marriage, or you put it on your kids, or you put it on your career, and it, it's crushing. Yeah, it, It's not enough. Mm-hmm. Like, this this world is wonderful, and I, I love my life, but it's not enough. Right. And eventually, you know, I lost Brent, and then I lost uh, my closest, dearest friend two summers ago to cancer. Mm-hmm. I mean, life has a lot of loss to it. Yeah. And if you got to deal with that, folks, and you got to ask yourself, what is the anchor of my soul? What is my hope? What am I thinking about my future? Because if you knew in your heart, nothing is lost. Nothing's lost, friends. It absolutely changes the way you're able to handle disappointment. You know, you have a good marriage, but not great marriage. You have a good job, but not a great job. Like you can handle the partial now when you know, look, your future is absolutely fabulous. That's so good. So how do we keep our hope anchored in the right place? (laughs) Well, I'm cracking up at that because it's like, just try any other option. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work. 
God has rigged the world so that it won't work, not without him and not without the coming kingdom. So when you say, how do we keep our hopes in that? I think you have to start with your disappointments. What are you doing with your current disappointments, gang? Mm -hmm. Your kids, you know, making bad choices, your calling. You never got to realize your calling, always wanted to be a musician or whatever, you know. Uh, What are you doing with your disappointments? Because that will lead you to your heartache for restoration. Mm -hmm. And when when you get in touch with your heartache for restoration, Jesus can speak into that and say, I have some phenomenal news for you. Everything you love is going to be restored. It'll really open your heart up to a pretty breathtaking hope. That's so good. And you you talk about restored relationships in the book, too. And I'm telling you, chapter three just about killed me. I was literally driving down the road listening to the audio version. and I had to pull off because my eyes were flooding with tears. You talk about laying on the floor of your son's shared bedroom after you launched them out into the world. And that that realization of a new season where it was about saying goodbye. You know, we have five kids and the thought of, you know, we know it's coming. We know it's looming, but they're still all under 12. So we're kind of in that golden season of just time together Mm -hmm. as a family growing them. So that just wrecked me. Talk about that a little bit, how you navigate that. And then that hope of those restored relationships. Yeah, um, we stay away from this as long as we can. We live in a lot of denial that the kids are going to grow up, you know, that your health is is not going to be what it was, you know, at 30 when you're 65. And But eventually, as I said, just try and live any other way. Life will sneak up on you um, and you'll start to experience loss. So I'm sitting in I'm sitting in a high school graduation. My youngest son's graduating and, and I'm, I'm just wrecked. And I just said, Jesus, how is everything not just loss? How in the end, how is everything not just loss? And uh, Jesus says to me, oh, John, nothing is lost. Mm. And that's when I began to realize, whoa, wait a second, wait a second. All of my expectations, all of my desires are totally set on this life only. I don't even think about the future. Heaven is vague. It's weird. I'm not even sure I want to go there because I'm not really in. Not really. I don't I don't want the eternal church service in the sky. A year in Tuscany beats that, you know. (laughs) So it really began to open my heart up to in my losses, Jesus, I need a great hope. And he really began to open up my heart to when he said, John, nothing is lost. And guys, like the coming of Jesus ushers in the restoration of all things. Paul says in Romans 8, this whole earth is groaning for the day of its redemption. Okay, so you get the earth back. The waterfalls, the ocean, your, all your special places. The creation is restored, right? And oh my gosh, it just takes the pressure off the next vacation to be like that rescue you always needed it to be, you know? That is so good. Thank you, John. I have a question for you. We talk a lot about this idea, this concept of living our one life well, giving it all we've got on this side of life. And I want to ask you, help us kind of bridge the gap between this life and the next one. And how do we really, truly live on purpose? You you can't live life fully now until you get rid of the fear. Mm. And you can't get rid of the fear until you know that your future is fantastic. Mm. Right? 
Yeah. Because, well, listen, most of us are in survival mode. Let's just be honest. Like I told, I totally binged on chocolate last night. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and why, why do we do that? Why do we do that? What's with our addictions? What's with all that? Right? Yeah. Well, we're in survival mode. So here's your message. Your message is come out of survival mode. God has a bigger life for you. Mm, and and yeah. the reason you can do that, gang, if I can just put a little bit more to the picture, is that your life never ends. Your current life, gang, everything you love, everything you hold, it doesn't go away. Like you go on. The things you love go on. And it frees you to get out of survival mode to go, oh, my gosh, I don't have to fear loss. Mm, right. I don't have to fear loss. So... I can take risks now, right? And and even like your precious calling, your gifting, your personality, everything that makes you you, you go on. Your calling goes on. And it just frees you to go, wow, I can come out of hiding. I can come out of fear. I can come out of denial because I have a future. I have a beautiful, unending life. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. Man, I love this message. It's so powerful. And it's going to help me as I sit across from guys that God's put in my life to make sure that their hope is really in the right thing. So I guess the question I would like to ask, or I think we would like to know, is what's your hope for this project? When somebody comes across this book, what do you hope they take away? Let me first tell you uh, an important story. So we launched this book back in the fall, and we did everything. I did 40 radio interviews. I did television. We created these films that we released on YouTube. We did all this stuff, and almost no one bought the book. What? Crazy. Almost no one. Okay, so now Jesus is after my heart, <laughs> right? Because yeah. I'm heartbroken. And he's like, he's, mm -hmm. he's like, John, hang on a second. What is it now to your question? What is it that you are hoping would happen? Right. And I said, oh, my gosh, right. If this restores the hope of 100 people, mm -hmm. that's worth writing this book. If this restores the hope of 1,000 people, I'm a hero. Right. Like, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. That's an yeah. amazing life. Yeah. Right? And yeah. just to Get out of the numbers game. Yes. And, and so my answer to your question, what do I hope this will do? I hope that reading this book, you will suddenly realize you have a future and your future is far more wonderful than you ever imagined. Mm, that's so good. So, so, so good. good. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think the thing that's kind of turning in my head, and I'm sure in the listener's head, is how do you process when you put all this time, all this mm -hmm. effort, all this energy into a project yeah. where you feel like you've had this message from God, one that yeah. is going to impact people's lives, and it doesn't nearly do what you hope it'll do. How did you process that? Yeah. Okay, so I, I had to take that to Jesus big time, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, like, what the frick, man? <laughs> <laughs> totally. and, and, Jesus took me to this passage where the disciples say, it's right towards the end of his life. And the disciples said, are you going to reveal yourself to the world now? Right? Because you're the son of God. Like, do it. Like, <laughs> this is a big yeah. reveal, you know? And yeah. Jesus' answer is, they're not ready. Mm. They're not ready. Most people are actually not ready to look at what they're doing with their hope. Mm. 
this book will rescue your life. But most people are not ready because they're still chasing. They are trapped in the present moment. Yeah. Gosh. So I'm curious, John, because, you know, you publish something like Wild at Heart and the response is overwhelming and incredible. And then you have a new project that you're also receiving from God that you're obedient to put out there and the response is different. So how do you navigate that? You know, we have a lot of people listening who are going after their dreams that they believe God has given them. So what advice would you give them as they're listening, as they're going after their dreams? Um, How do you navigate those highs and lows? You have to make God the treasure of your heart. Mm. He literally has to be your treasure. I love you more than anything. I love you more than anything. And to begin to do that, you begin loving God in your disappointment. Mm. Right? So what? They can love God when things are going great. Right. Totally. You, You love God in your sorrow. You love him in your loss. You love him in your disappointment because that is our one rescue. It just rescues us from so much of the drama of the world. And you just you get out of the chaos and you, you, your heart comes into a safe place. I love you. I love you more than anything. So this this is a very funny moment in my life. I told Jesus last year, I said, you know, I think I'm done. <laughs> I, I, I think I think I'm good. Nope. I've made a contribution. <laughs> right? I've made right. a contribution. Yeah. And Jesus said to me, he said, I'm actually increasing your global influence. Wow. Mm. And part of me went, dang. <laughs> <laughs> because nice. I know the cost that comes with that. Right. Everybody chase. Everybody chases yeah. the big prize, but you have yeah. no idea what's going to cost you. Uh, but the beautiful thing is, the reason I said "dang" is, is because I knew I don't want that. Mm. So now he can trust me with it. Right. It's good. Right. right? It's yeah. not my treasure. It's so it's good. Not my treasure. It's not my identity. It's not who I am. It doesn't validate my life. Yeah. You know. It's so good. I, I'm, yeah. I just want to. I just want to spend time with my grandkids, you know? <laughs> right. So are you in the sage stage? You get to be a sage? I wish. I wish. <laughs> when do you get to be a sage? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I'm, ready to be a sage. I'm ready to punch that card. Come on. Uh, no, like I, I still am in a king stage because I have, I have, a, I have such a large kingdom, you know, and we, yeah. we do have a global influence. And makes sense. It's breathtakingly beautiful. People are getting rescued and restored. Oh, my gosh. It's so holy. So I, I'm still kind of in the king stage and, and our kingdom is growing. But I, my goal is not to build my kingdom anymore. Mm. Right. My goal yeah. now is to counsel those whose kingdoms are growing. Mm. A couple of years ago, Jesus said to me, I want you to make other people successful. And I was so busted because <laughs> it was not on my to-do list. Mm. You know? That's good. It wasn't. It wasn't. And I'm like, okay, far out. That's a really good goal. <laughs> like, that's really good. Make other people successful. Yeah. Okay. I can do that. Mm, that's awesome. So cool. Well, John, oh, we could talk with you forever. You this so has much. been Gosh. such an honor. But we're going to honor your time and we're going to close this out like we always do. We ask three rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. What's a book that's changed your life? What's a habit that's changed your life? And what advice would you give to the younger John? 
The Horse and His Boy, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia story, The Horse and His Boy. Yep. And a habit that's changed my life above all else, learning to hear the voice of God, Mm. practicing asking, practicing listening. Huge. Changed my life. Uh, And what was the third one? The third one is what advice would you give to the 20-year-old you, to the cowboy? Oh, I'd love love to sit down with him because you know what I'd say to him? I would say, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Relax, buddy. It's going to work out. Mm, that's so good. What do you think he'd say? He, he would say something I can't repeat on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. So good. Awesome. Such a great conversation. Hey, John, before we take off here, where can people find you, follow you, and catch up with all that's happening in your ministry? Yep. So the ministry is called Ransomed Heart. Uh, or you could just do wildatheart.com. That'll get you there too. Ransomedheart.com is our ministry. And we've got podcasts and we do the stuff you guys do. You know, we reach out to people and help. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming uh, on, John. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, seriously. You are a hero, man. And we're praying for strength and courage for you to continue the fight with doing all that you're doing. Yeah, I'm cheering you guys on. I'm cheering you on from Colorado. Oh, thank you so much. That's yeah. Awesome. Thanks, man. We love you. Thankful for you. Yeah, you're so welcome. And that's John Eldridge. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm going back to listen now, yep, right yep. now, again. This is one we're going to listen to over oh. and over. We have listened to it over and over again. <laughs> yeah, so, so amazing. It's so good. And we hope you guys were as impacted as we were by this conversation with John. We would love, yeah. love, love to Please. hear from you. It just is the best part of what we do, yeah. hearing how God speaks to you guys through these conversations. So if God spoke to you today, send us an email, chris at onelife.works or Jenny yep. with an I at onelife.works. Yeah, and as always, you can find all of our information for today's episode in our show notes over at our website, onelife.works. Episode 30 in the books, babe. That's a wrap. That's this summer wrap. has been on fire. I mean, it's hot outside, but this ep- these episodes have been so good. They have, yep. Looking forward to a great summer. Hope you guys are having a great one too. And we're going to close it out like we do every single time. Say it loud, say it proud. You only get one life. Live Live it it well. well.